Sluts and Scholars, a podcast for professionals who prioritize pleasure. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Sluts and Scholars is a podcast produced by Sluts and Scholars Media, LLC. It is a shame-free educational podcast made for your entertainment and informational desires only. The podcast, any opinions we share, and any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, medical care, or professional advice, and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am joined by Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. She is a psychologist, accredited advanced GSRD therapist, writer, podcast host, sex and intimacy coach, speaker, TV personality, and she has spent the past 35 plus years helping people to create and maintain incredible relationships with sizzling sex and without shame. She is currently touring the UK with a talk called The Psychology of Fetish and Kink and starring in Open House, The Great Sex Experiment, which is on Channel 4 in the UK. Welcome, Dr. Lori Beth. Thank you. It's good to be here. Okay, so you're giving this talk right now on the psychology of fetish and kink, and it makes me think of a question that I get asked a lot, both by my clients, but also just in like articles and things that I do is what do you feel like is the best way to bring up an interest that you have in a relationship? So this is like for people who have been in relationship for a long time, a short time, like you're into something, you're worried it's going to be received a certain kind of way. It's scary to be vulnerable. How do we bring it up? So this is probably the question that I get asked most often. Right. Um, Because people want to know how to get the sex they want, but it's scary. Second only to the question why, which is a, a, a whole conversation. Yeah. Um, and um, it depends on whether it's a new connection or an existing connection. If it's a new connection, tell them from day one. Um, because why start a relationship with, with a battle to have, a hill to climb, because you've kept back something that's central to you because you were afraid that it's too early to talk about sex. And then it turns out six months down the line, you're really attached to the person. You're really connected in all these ways. Then you bring it up and they're like, oh, I'm not into that. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head because I find that folks who maybe aren't bringing it up early on or what we might call like dating for your species, uh, a colleague of mine, Reed Mahalko, said that a lot, um, is that I think people don't give themselves permission that this is okay to have as an essential criteria. Um, And that it's, they aren't sure maybe, or aren't feeling, or maybe are feeling ashamed that it is an essential part of them. And so I think with that, we look for other things on our top 
four, five, whatever criteria of things we can want in a person. And it often doesn't include sexual preferences. And so people are prioritizing other things and then they're upset that the sex doesn't align. But if we shop for that early on, maybe some of the other stuff won't be there. But the sex thing, if it's that important to you, like you said, why not start out with it? But you have to give yourself permission that it's okay to have that be a priority. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that in my experience over the long time I've been seeing people, when um, sex is working, Mm -hmm. all sorts of other things can be wrong and the relationship will still survive. When sex isn't working, it's a much higher chance that the relationship will tank, even when there's all sorts of other things that are aligned. Mm. And the only exception to that is for people who are asexual, where sex really isn't a thing for them. Yeah. Or, or non-monogamous where there's or potentially other ways. Getting, that's right. They're getting their needs met elsewhere. So I'll include, mm-hmm. I think anything like kink, fetish, BDSM, non-monogamy are all things. And I know, I know Reed's term dating within your species, right? Like do that, mm-hmm. start with that, give yourself the permission to talk about it. And don't act from a scarcity mindset. People still have this thing in their head that you know, this person, this guy, this gal, this other person has all these things that they want. Um, But the sex they already know isn't going to fly, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not a good enough reason to let it go because they may never find Mm -hmm. the right person. Mm -hmm. You'll find them. There's abundance out there. You will find the person or people that work for you if you're willing to keep a positive mindset and value yourself and all the things that are important to you and then take your time. Um, yeah, I mean that's a tough one cuz how do we how do we really internalize that and believe it, right? I think so many people are like, "Oh, my order is too tall." Um and then we get sent these mixed messages of like, "Don't settle, but also like be realistic, but also like try really hard to meet someone, but also don't try too hard. And so I I think it can be tough for folks because they might think, oh, there's too many things I want. What if I don't, I haven't found somebody yet. What if I don't find somebody? How do we sort of trust that? Because we're going to make mistakes. I think we need to start out with the fact that we make mistakes Mm -hmm. in relationships, the same way we make mistakes in other parts of life. And we learn Mm -hmm. from them. We have to learn from our mistakes in our relationships. And if I look back personally, because it's always easier to give an example of yourself. So I don't have to worry about other people's confidentiality. Right. So I'll give this. If I look back personally in my life and I look at the pattern that I had, it took me a long time to figure out why I kept attracting the same things because my pattern, what I thought was an obvious pattern, wasn't obvious. Right. Um, So I always say that 20 years ago, if I walked into a room and there were 100 people, 100 eligible people in the room, and only one was an addict of some type, that's the only person. You find that person. (laughs) That's that's the person. And I, you know, I, I, I did it a number of times and I was saying, but I don't like that. So why, what is it that's grabbing me? Cause it certainly wasn't the addiction. Yeah. It was the edge because my kink is such that I like those, those edges, those edges yeah. are really important to me. And it took a long time first to understand that that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And then to realize I could find that without the other shit. Mm. But I, over time, once I learned that, then I, I began to relax a little bit more that it's going to take the time. I'm going to take the time, but I'm going to actually get it right. Because what I didn't want was another marriage that sucked and another 
a relationship that sucked. What I wanted was to get my needs met for a change. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think you have to kind of scrape your knees a couple of times before you're going to be willing to take a breath. I also think work on yourself. Um, and and I do this with clients. I did this myself. Really work on your self-esteem and your compassion for yourself and your understanding that pursuing joy is the thing you want to be doing, which means that you have to be really honest with yourself about what you want and need. And if you have issues, go see a therapist, go see a coach, work on your stuff, because the more you work on your stuff, your energy changes and people are drawn to you, but also you see different things. Suddenly a hundred people in that room are attracted to, you know, are attractive to me. And that one addict is no longer something that's on the menu. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing, it, it, but it is complex. And yeah. I think we really listen to the the pressure from the way that we're brought up, like yeah, not connecting sexually. I got. I remember my mother saying this that, it, and this was after I, I had a marriage that went wrong, and um, and I said that the sex was you know didn't work, and she's like, that's horrible, right? That was the message when my marriage went wrong. But when I was growing up, the message that I got, not in words, but in behavior was, that's we don't talk about that. That's not important. What's right. important, find a good man. Mm-hmm. For me, it didn't work anyway, but right, find a good man, right? One, yeah. one good man. Yeah. Um, and that that was a message that I kept getting and getting and that, you know, the little things and the message that I got from watching behavior and listening was that actually sex was a little thing. Mm-hmm. And then you hear that, you know, particularly women mm-hmm. looking for partners. Oh, you really do set the bar so high. Who do you think you are that you can set the bar? Actually, most of us set the bar really low. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, that's if you don't have a partner, but if you do yeah. have a partner, yes. so you're already, you're already connected with somebody. Yeah. They you, think you, they think you like one thing you've maybe known for a while that you like something else, or you've just discovered it. Now what? Um, There are ways of bringing things up without being direct to test the waters. So one of the things I I I like to tell people to blame me, I'm like, I'm like, listen to this podcast and be or read this article and be like, you know, I read this weird thing. uh, And can you read it? Because I'm interested. Yeah. So that but you can I actually take people back a step. If you don't want to be that direct. Yeah. Find an erotic movie that has. Not, I'm not talking about porn. There's nothing wrong with porn, but porn, you get distracted by other things. But if you find an erotic movie that has the theme and the flavor, watch the movie with your partner and see how they react. Read a story to them, find a story, give them a book to read or go find erotica and read it to them or listen to audio erotica. Audio porn is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And there's lots out there. Just kind of not even saying, oh, I'm into this, but let's look at some things. And you put the things that are on your menu in front of them and then watch what they, how they respond. Yeah. So if they're like, and you know, it's not going to be good. Then you need to think about what, what is it you want to do with this? Yeah. How do you want to bring this up? Um, but a lot of times you'll, you'll get a, Ooh, Ooh, Ooh. And then it's much easier to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. Then the second part to this is, just because somebody's not into what you're into doesn't mean that they can't actually be turned on by your excitement. Right. 
Well, Um, and, and I think at least I've noticed this in my own partnerships that like, maybe sometimes there were things where initially someone gave an ick. I mean, you know, I luckily am with partners now who are always supportive, at least of it, even if they're like, I don't really know if that's for me. But what I noticed is that sometimes at the beginning, if there wasn't an initial ick, it warranted more conversations. And what I found was like, in some cases, when we were able to kind of peel back the layers and figure out what about this is interesting or what about this gives the ick, we could sometimes find a common language. And so maybe, yeah, like maybe at first it was like, oh, no, I'm not into this, like this thing, because when I was growing up, I got spanked or like my, you know, whatever it is. But if you explain and figure out what is it about it that you like, it gives your partner an opportunity also to see if there's something about it that they could like that yeah. is not just what they thought it was at first glance. Yes. Yeah. So you give them you give them a place where they can connect and maybe yeah. they'll like a piece of it. Or if they don't right. like a piece of it, it can be really exciting to see your partner excited. Yeah. And so sometimes even though um, uh, one that I see this with a lot is transvestism. Um, and so... You know, I, I mean, people now are starting to lump transgender and transvestism together. They're not the same thing. But um, transvestism is when somebody gets really turned on by wearing the clothing of or dressing as a different gender. And um, sometimes, particularly when it's men that are wearing panties, and which is really quite common, um, wives girlfriends are like oh no i could never be turned on by that but when they see their partner really excited and really lighthearted about it they can hook on to that joy and so they become part of it and then they can give it a chance to see well is there something more i can do with this or can i just enjoy being a spectator to this yeah and ideally you're with someone who can who's willing to check into their own sort of triggers at things and why they might have a reaction and is ideally someone who cares about your joy and pleasure. Yes. If not, that's another, that's another sure. conversation. That's another issue, right. That's a completely different conversation. So, yeah, I mean, I think you've got to be creative bringing it up to a partner um, and you have to deal with your own fear as well. So before you even bring it up, like, how am I going to feel if they go, I can't do that. And actually I think it's disgusting. Mm. you know what if they look at look at me differently which is what of course everybody's fear is they're going to be disgusted by me and they're going to leave me yeah what's the likelihood of that you know um what if they feel that way then then how am I going to feel what would I need to do how would I explain myself would it even be okay with me if they reacted in a very strong manner yeah and so obviously when we're in relationship we can never always never really find someone who's our exact equal in every single thing that we like and how we like it. Um, and this is something that I see a lot of times is, you know, there's there's a desire differential um, about what the person is into, what they want. And there's different levels of that, right? There's different levels of like, I've talked about like desire discrepancy with like sex and libido and desire and arousal. But I guess here I'm more talking about like, when one person is wanting some kind of sexual behavior or one person is wanting one style of relationship, be that non-monogamy of some kind or not. And at what point do we decide 
if it's something we can work on? And at what point do we decide if it's something that we should leave? I think that, again, this is one of those ones where it depends on how long you're in the relationship. I'm well known for saying when people ask the question, can one person be poly and the other person be monogamous? Yeah, that's why I wanted to ask. I saw you talk about that quite a bit. I do. And um, the answer to that is yes, you can have that differential. Mm -hmm. However, it's incredibly hard work and it takes sustained hard work. So you will not work unless both of you are willing to put the emotional labor in and do that individually as well as as a couple. Mm -hmm. So it's if you can avoid that, that's why it's important to tell people who you are up front if you know, because if you can avoid that, it's much better to avoid it. The same for me is true with kink and BDSM. Um, It depends on what it is. Um, And so sometimes people negotiate non-monogamy around the kink. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people are willing to just do whatever it is in fantasy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think one needs to be really careful if this is your identity. Um, So for, so for some people, kink is something they add into their sex Mm -hmm. for other people. And I, um, I would class myself this way for me, the power exchange is my sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. So that's how I, gender doesn't matter to me. So it feels so essential to, to you. Absolutely. Right. I don't have egalitarian sex. I have egalitarian relationships sometimes, but I don't have egalitarian sex. It's that's how I'm wired. And so for me, if somebody's not into that, and I had a whole monogamous marriage with somebody who wasn't into any of it, Mm -hmm. the sex that we did have was pretty awful. Mm-hmm. because there was none of the element that I was looking for and just being in your head and fantasizing, then you're not connecting with the other person and mm-hmm. you're not present. So it's problematic. Mm-hmm. It's the same if you have a fetish fetish. When you have a fetish, it's necessary to orgasm. So if your partner doesn't can't at least connect to some part of the fetish, then you're not going to be present during sex. So in those cases, it's not worth slogging. Mm-hmm. If, the, if they are not going to be able to come and take part in some way, yeah. then it's not worth slogging. You you use non-monogamy as an option. Um, and if that doesn't isn't an option, then I would say it's better to end amicably and go on and try and find partner or partners that are going to meet those needs. Mm. But in other cases, like for example, um, you have a kink that's related to, um, you like um, impact play. And your partner um, doesn't, and you like to be on the bottom of impact play. So you want to receive a spanking, a flogging, but your partner doesn't have a sadistic bone in their body. (laughs) They don't want to hit you, right? There are other ways that you can play with that. You can look at, are there ways I can get some intense sensation without them having to provide it in a way that um, feels violent, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can play with that. And see if you can find a space that you can both agree on so that you can include that in your sexual life. Mm, Any idea for that one specifically? What would be like a creative way for more sensation? So it's usually a head thing because it's about being seen as a sadist. So look at starting with sensation play, play with temperature, play with wax, which can feel a lot more gentle, but can be very intense sensations. Find out exactly what it is your partner's objecting to. Yeah. What 
things that they can't do. Well, and, and again, then, if if there's something about that, they'd be willing to work on, right? If it's someone yes. who's like, oh, I see this because I have hangups around harm and gender or corporal punishment growing up, can we can we do something about that? And also look at different implements with that one, because a mm. lot of times people have a specific issue around like wielding a belt mm. because that's something or wielding a cane, yeah. but like a paddle or using their hand or mm. a little bit pinching instead of hitting, mm-hmm. scraping with nails can be something that'll work, yeah. nibbling with your teeth again. So it's not the same sensation, but it's moving in the direction and you can usually work with that and start yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, I think with the the non-monogamy as an option, because that can be very workable, and any thoughts about how to make sure you're also staying connected to that core partner as well? Because I think sometimes, I mean, look, it's different for every person, right? If you're okay having a partnership that is maybe less sexual, but there's a lot of other things that are great, and you're okay outsourcing all the sex stuff, great, fine. But I do find that sometimes people can swing so far to outsourcing all of it and then they feel disconnected from that partner. Definitely a big issue. I mean, sometimes you want it from that person that yeah. you have because I, I look right. at the romance, right? You want it from the person you have the romance that yeah. the core romance with. Yeah. And, and so outsourcing all of it can be a problem for them, but it can be a bigger problem for you because yeah. now you're not you're not feeling connected. So it's looking at paying quite close attention to that and looking at different ways and interesting ways, things that you can do in that partnership that you both might like. So try and discover something new together Mm -hmm. and have things that you're, you're actively working on sensual and sexual play with each other to discover what you can share in common so that you're not outsourcing everything. Yeah. And, and like we were talking about, it is very personal choice, I guess, to feel like, am I, how much work am I willing to put in? Absolutely. Into this area. And, and, you know, sometimes the work ends up being managing your own feelings, not managing your partner's feelings. Your partner's actually doing okay with it, but you have all sorts of feelings you didn't expect to have about Mm -hmm. having through all these hoops or, or you find that, you you know, you're, uh, you, you end up with an intense intense emotional attachment to another partner because you're outsourcing it. And if you are not non-monogamous by nature, that mm-hmm. can be problematic. But even if you are non-monogamous by nature, there's that I came up with a friend of mine. We came up with this term monogamy hangover. Mm, what does that, that mean? mean? Trademarking. That's when we have... Um, emotions and thoughts relating to the way we were raised around monogamy, even though we are non-monogamous. So that's when all of a sudden you start uh, feeling like your partner is going to have to choose you or their other, or, or the other person because you only get one or that mm-hmm. you absolutely have to get on the relationship escalator, right? Because if you're with somebody and you love them, you must live with them. And it's yeah. sort of it's unconscious. You're acting on that um, upbringing and that patterning yeah. and all the noise. Yeah. And and I think it can be the monogamy hangover can be even smaller than that too, right? It could just be like, oh, I'm not allowed to think other people and things are attractive, or I'm not allowed to share fantasies that involve other people and things. Um, Yeah. There's so much. That must mean there's something wrong with my relationship. And sometimes people, 
are really surprised because they've been non-monogamous for a really long time. And suddenly it creeps in. Like I've noticed that sometimes when people are getting ready to get married, that all of a sudden the, their mindset is monogamous and they're like, but I don't want to be monogamous, but all these things are coming up about what marriage means. Yeah. I think the other thing that comes up, I don't know if this is monogamy hangover or more related to what we were talking about before, but I think if, if you're partnering with someone that maybe has differing desires or interests, I think you do have to find a way to be okay with receiving something when you're receiving it just because that person wants to um, celebrate your joy and pleasure and yeah. not because they're into it on their own. And that yes. can be really hard for a lot of folks because not just in sex, but I think a lot of times we want someone to want it as yes. opposed to just doing it because we want them to, whether that's like how they make the bed, how they do this thing. It's like uh, how they watch a show. Like, well, I want you to like it. And we can't control that. So it, this to me takes a willingness to be able to like receive something that someone is doing just because they know you like it. And yes. why do you think that's so hard for us? <laughs> I know, you know, I, I find it interesting. I think we, we denigrate stuff like that in part because we, compassion is not higher on, on our list of positive traits. Collaboration mm -hmm. is not high on our list of positive traits in the West. A lot of things are about competition and about, yeah. or uh, just about like chemistry. Like, do we have chemistry? Is it we have chemistry? And it's sort of like, well, we, we downgrade what people do for us because they love us as somehow that's weak. I don't know why, but that I think it's cultural. And I, and I think it comes from, from, Western culture and the way that we grow up. And so yeah. you're right. It can be really difficult for people to accept that this person is doing even, even stuff as simple as I'm going to watch sports with you because you love watching sports. Mm -hmm. I hate watching sports. Yeah, I feel that, but I, I, but I find something about it. I like whether it's my partner's excited or I yeah. like to go to the baseball games. Cause I like to eat hot dogs and look at their butts. Yeah, whatever it is. I mean, I, and 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 the fact that you're willing to take part in in their hobby is can be so important. Yeah. But also, if you're non-monogamous, you don't have to do as much of that. Yeah. Because they can go find somebody who really is excited about it. I think the thing that I noticed that of why folks struggle with that and why sometimes I've struggled with it is it comes from this place of like um, struggling to receive, and so mm -hmm. there's a fear that like if this person is doing it just for me. Um, like if they're not enjoying it, they're going to be resentful or I'm going to feel like I'm asking for too much or, um, yeah, I can't just like take it in. Um, mm -hmm. and so it feels easier when someone also enjoys it because then it's not really receiving no, it's in just its doing core together. essence. Yeah. It's just doing yeah. together. And together. so I think we really struggle to receive most of us, especially, uh, yeah, yeah, most of us struggle with that. I, th I think you're right. And I think, um, especially getting, fem, fem bodied people, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And I think getting comfortable with receiving something just because someone feels like giving it to you. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause they notice that, that it's something that you want. It's something that'll make you happy and just being okay with that and having that be something other than yeah. material things, because we're better, even though many of us have trouble with accepting material things, we're better at accepting material things because mm -hmm. we're supposed to accept that, but to accept experiences, mm -hmm. You know, to accept somebody holding space for us. Yeah. That's much harder. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, is there an example of the monogamous poly dynamic that you've seen work and what what did make it work? 
Um, it, there isn't, it's not a particular style, but the ones that I've seen work are the ones in which the monogamous person really works on separating out and working on their feelings of inadequacy, um, uh, uh, insecurity, um, worries about where their position in the relationship is, mm-hmm. that those are the personal insecurities that they really work on mm-hmm. so that they can manage any negative feelings they have much more easily because they're not then located internally deep, you know, deep feelings of inadequacy. And, you know, this means he doesn't love me or she doesn't love me or they don't love me. Um and they can rationalize things so that they can deal with their emotions better. That's one. Number two is when they have, uh, when both parties really bone up on their emotional skills. So that means like really yeah. good, at, get really good at emotional regulation, mm-hmm. get really good at setting boundaries, communicating, negotiating, all of those things. If you get, you have to be expert level. Yeah. They have a much better chance of it working. And setting some really good boundaries, really being honest with yourself about what you can do. So, for example, I know one couple who are polyamorous. However, one of the partners really wants, we would, it's actually more than kitchen table polyamory. Kitchen table polyamory, for people who don't know, is when you would all be happy to have a meal together. So Mm -hmm. your partners, 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 everybody can muck in together. Everybody gets along. Yeah. They not adore each other, but they all get along. They could go for a family holiday, be fine. Um, but there are some people who like, well, you got a group of people where some of the relationships are very fluid. Mm-hmm. And so different people are having sex with different people and people are very relaxed. People may be very boundaryless around their personal space, around their homes. That isn't very common unless people are all living together. So I know this yeah. one couple where... She prefers a V configuration. She doesn't really want to know. So just a V configuration for folks who don't know is. Is when there's one person at the point of the V. And if they have two partners, it's it's two separate relationships with their partners and their Mm -hmm. partners aren't necessarily friends. Connected. Yeah. Um, she, She doesn't mind like meeting the partners. That's okay. But she doesn't want to spend loads and loads of time with her partner's partners. She doesn't want to be at an event where her partner is um, off flirting in front of her. She's not comfortable with that. Yeah. Her partner is very different. Her partner believes that she should be comfortable with even finding them in bed with another partner. Mm-hmm. And so... Although they're both non-monogamous and they're both polyamorous, that difference has caused untold problems because they don't seem to understand each other's viewpoints and her partner finds it difficult to do something that would make her comfortable just because it would make her comfortable. Mm -hmm. Her partner interprets that as uh, punishment. Yeah, or like control. Right. Why can't, yeah, you're trying to control me. Why can't you just allow me this thing that I really need? Mm-hmm. Completely not looking at the emotional stuff that's over on the other side saying, look, I can allow you all sorts of things. That's just the boundary because that I just, I'm not comfortable with that. And I've done work on it and it's not shifting. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't want to live with having to work on it. So she's not saying hide anything. She's just saying, not in my house, please. Yeah. That's boundary, right? So let's say, let's say you're working with this as a client or in a coaching relationship. Um, what do you do with that? Um, I start with trying to get people to see each other's viewpoints yeah. and understand why that boundary might be important, but more importantly, understand why it's important to agree to your partner's boundaries sometimes, even though yours might be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the way, the way I've um, heard it feel like a struggle in non-monogamy is helping people. And I think this came up a lot with like the Jonah Hill situation. I don't know if you followed that. <laughs> um, maybe you got to stay away from it since you're in the UK, but um, this sort of struggle between boundary versus control. Yes. And are there time, like what differentiates a boundary versus controlling somebody? Um, and are there times when folks kind of use something and call it a boundary, but really it's, uh, it's controlling. And there are times when people do that, but it's often to me, it's fairly easy to see the difference. Mm. For example, if you, when you have veto situations, Mm. if your partner always says no, then it's a method of control. Mm -hmm. If your partner says no once in a while and they're, and they can, they don't even have to give a reason, but they can give a reason, mm-hmm. then it's probably just a boundary. Um, and and I think getting people to actually step away from their own viewpoint to try and say, okay, if I reality test this, is this a reasonable thing to ask? Mm-hmm. Is it reasonable for me to ask my partner to give up their bed every week for a night a week so that I can have sex with somebody else in, in the bed? Mm-hmm. Now, for most people, that's not a reasonable ask. Mm. Is it reasonable for me to ask my partner to allow me one week a night where I go out and I'm not coming home because I'm spending the night with my other partner? Much more reasonable ask. So it's looking at things like that and and saying, okay, and also working on, can I put myself in my partner's shoes? Yeah. And that doesn't mean that the person who's asking, even if your partner feels that it's quote unquote unreasonable, that doesn't mean that it is objectively unreasonable. I think it's yes. like that's um, that's the point. Yeah. Can so, you can you understand it? And is there a way you're willing to figure out if that's okay with you? Um, because there will probably be someone out there who also finds that reasonable and wants it too. Yeah. And but what I find in situations like that so often is somebody will go, well I have, you know, you're just not doing this right. Everybody does it. I have a very large sample size. Mm-hmm. And so somebody bring it to me and I'll be like, well, actually that is quite common or it's a reality test. Well, or actually that's not common at all mm-hmm. because the emotional labor required to be able to do that is really high, which is why it's not common at all. So it's not a judgment as to whether it's okay or not. Okay. It's telling you what level of stuff and do you really, is it really acceptable for your partner to keep asking you to do that level of work when mm-hmm. you don't want to? You yeah. know, and so it, you have to look at it from a bunch of different um, angles. You also have to do lots of work on it. Yeah. And people have to recognize that if they're choosing this type of a lifestyle, it is going to take extra work for a poly mono relationship. You are going to spend an inordinate amount of time communicating. Yeah. Well, and as you're saying, even a poly poly one, there's different ways that we define it, that it looks like, what our boundaries are. The way I kind of think of a boundary, the way I frame it sometimes to clients is that like, 
boundaries are things that we are responsible for. And I guess what I mean by that is I think a lot of times when folks make boundaries, the boundaries are like, we're asking somebody to do, to not cross it, basically. We're asking someone to not do this thing. Um, and I try to think of it more like a boundary is something that I'm setting up and I'm also sharing with you what will happen if that is crossed, as opposed to kind of holding the other person responsible if they're going to cross it or not. To me, that's sort of, I don't know if I can think of a better metaphor, but it's sort of like telling an opposing army to be like, well, my boundary is that you don't attack us on Wednesday until 12 p.m. because earlier is just not good for us. (laughs) As opposed to being like, if you attack at this time, this is what will happen. And so that's a little more of the way that I think about it. Um, of like, okay, this is something that here's what happens for me when this is crossed. Here's how I feel. If that keeps happening, I will have to do X. Yep. And I think, I do think there's, there's a degree that personal responsibility and accountability is so important and is often not taken. Um, culture likes to blame people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we look at kink and, and BDSM, you know, we, yeah. We started out with consent by talking about safe, sane, and consensual, um, and then realized that a lot of the things that we do aren't safe. And um, or a and, quote unquote sane, yeah, or and and sane is questionable. Um, and then they moved to rack, which was um, risk aware consensual kink. And the problem with rack was that, or is that, often it's the dominant person that is left to do the due diligence. And present the risks to the um, uh, bottom or the submissive person. Um, And then some of us have moved to personal responsibility and consensual kink or prick. And that is very much around, it is up to me to do my due diligence and to take responsibility to not only share with you uh, my feelings about this, but to set the boundary, to tell you what will happen if the boundary is crossed and to try and hold that boundary Um, to take responsibility for my own triggers. So it's like, these are my triggers. If you step on a trigger of mine accidentally, that's not your problem. That's my problem. Mm. It's actually really the more that we can do that, the easier it is for us to become comfortable with those differences Mm -hmm. relationships Yeah, because we have more control Mm because we can only control us. We can't control anybody else. Yeah. And so at what point do you think in kind of the dynamic you were just describing, would folks decide like, okay, that's not working for me anymore? Uh, Because I I do want to name that I see, again, I I don't know if there's, there's no concrete answer to this, but I, I, I still find myself wanting to like ponder on it that on one hand, I think we live in a culture that like has a lot of that unfortunate sort of like FOMO instant gratification experience. So a lot of times we don't want to work on things and it's sort of like, okay, well, let me find the upgraded model. And then there's other things wrong with that upgraded model. And we keep trying to upgrade. And I want to give people permission to find what they want and what works for them and to find a match that feels, um, prioritizing of the kind of sex and pleasure that they look for. And so I just, uh, I still don't know like what, I don't know if I even have an answer of like to tell people when, you know, I think that's very personal choice. It is. And and, I mean, I think while we do have a lot of FOMO, we also have a culture that tells us that um, you need to hold out to the bitter fucking end. 
Right. That you're that you're a failure if you a failure if you if you toss a relationship in a quitter, a you're walking away. And 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 particularly if it's got to do with something around sex, because that shouldn't be so important. Mm. And that becomes more of an issue the older you get, right? Yeah. Older you get, the less important it's supposed to be, which is utter bullshit. Mm, because it's, it's like, oh well, I need someone to be with who's gonna support me as I age and yeah, yeah. And, and, the, well, and this thought that we're not sexual as we age. That's right. I need somebody to be with who's going to have sex with me as I age. Fuck, yeah. fuck, fuck yeah. me. <laughs> I need someone um, to fuck me until I die. That's not right. be with and me until I die. I, I tell you, you know, so I'm 60 years old and um, I have uh, three partners, all of whom we're all still sexual. And I, I'm blessed to have found and co-created these relationships where I get to get my needs met. But that only happened because I started prioritizing my needs. Um, and so when should you toss it in? I think when you're sacrificing a part of yourself. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to sacrifice. Maybe you have a dream of living in the country, but your partner wants to live in the suburb. You prior- You look at these things and prioritize. How important is it to me to live in the country? Mm-hmm. Most people won't throw a relationship in for that. Some people will. but most people won't but when you're actually sacrificing a part of yourself or or your core values and a lot of us have core values around the way in which we structure our relationships the Mm -hmm. kinds of sex and intimacy and emotional intimacy that are important to us reflect some of our core values if you are compromising on your core values in my view you should not be doing that Mm So you look at, can I do this without compromising my core values? Mm-hmm. Like, so we're polymono, people can find a way not to fully compromise core values and to make it work. Yeah. But if you realize that you can't do that, that's the point at which you really need to leave. And it's really different from each person. And it usually takes a number of tries because people feel like they, you know, they feel guilty. They have responsibility. I should stay in the marriage because blah, 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 blah. Let's stay until the kids are grown. Mm-hmm. Then, oh my God, I've been with this person for X number of years and yeah. now I'm going to leave them alone. And so let's look at the fact that I'm going to, you know, they expected this and I promised this yeah. as though we don't grow and change over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I could see some people taking it to the extreme with the core values and being and being like inflexible to collaboration to find a win-win um you know what I mean but when people are that inflexible they often have really difficulty finding a win-win anywhere so they're healthy is if you have a degree of flexibility healthy you recognize that you're going to grow and change as well Mm -hmm. and you may not grow and change drastically in the sense that you know your core kink will will probably stay your core kink, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's that's the thing that can be hard too about this is like, let's say we are with somebody who has that willingness to work on things and is like, okay, I like want to get to a place where we collaborate on that or like, I don't want to feel this way, so I'm working on it. We don't have a specific timeline for how long it's going to take to get to a more collaborative space. And that's where I think people struggle because they're like, okay, I want to put in this effort, but like, can you just tell me like five weeks or money back guarantee? <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's, it's really hard. I think it's hard. I talk to people be reasonable, but also be, be compassionate to yourself. Yeah. 
I'm not saying don't be compassionate to your partner, absolutely be compassionate to them, but we're usually better at that than we are at being compassionate to yourself. How many years you have, how many years has this been unfulfilled? And now how many years are you willing to wait for your partner to be able to get to a point where yeah. some of it can be fulfilled? Yeah. So I'll use an example that's a kind of a more vanilla example that's a part of life when people are aging and having issues, health issues. Mm-hmm. So your partner is having um, sexual um, performance problems and low libido because they're going through a physical health thing. Mm-hmm. You're not having sex. How long is it? How long are you going to wait for that to come back? Right. Mm-hmm. How long do you wait before you start saying, can we go get some help around this? Yeah. How long is it appropriate? And I see couples really struggle with this. It's like, I hear you and I'm, and I'm, I'm willing to be patient. I've been with you X number of years. I love you to yeah. bits. We had good sex. Mm-hmm. I believe we could have good sex again, yeah. but it's two years. Yeah. Right. When is it the point at which we, we acknowledge that I too have needs, right? right? When do we, and so I think that's really difficult. And the way these things get worked out is when people are really willing to communicate and really work on communicating well and continuing to communicate and also really willing to honor what's going on for themselves yeah. instead of sweeping it under the rug because many people just sweep it aside. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned if you're if you're willing to say for your own relationship that you were in a marriage that had that sort of unfulfilling, that was unfulfilling. And two marriages like that. two marriages. And now you have three partners and you're having lots of fulfilling. It sounds like fulfilling sex. The thing is I have three partners doesn't mean I have lots of sex because everybody has issues that, you know, all of that. I have lots more sex and the sex that I have is, is very fulfilling. More quality. Well, I guess what, I guess what I'm getting at is like, what was helpful for you to start to feel like you could have more or that you, you know, the to first, give yourself permission and found finding that. I mean, the first relate that, so the first marriage was um, monogamous and which is weird because I was non-monogamous prior to marrying him, but mm. somehow my programming kicked in from when I was a yeah. kid. That's the monogamy hangover. There it is. Was it like wedding season? Because I feel that as all my friends, a lot of my friends are getting married and some, some monogamous, some not um, going to those ceremonies makes you like, I like turn into another person after going to the wedding where I'm like, oh my gosh, well, so why am I not doing that? And oh, well, they've been together less time than this partner. Does that mean this? And like, I guess I should be getting married. Like that means something's wrong, isn't it? I'll tell you what happened. <laughs> but I don't feel I'm, that until the wedding weekend. I had been, I had, I had become engaged to somebody who mm-hmm. I adored yeah. and um, he was an addict. Um, edgy, and, an, an edgy guy. <laughs> He was a very edgy guy. He's still a very edgy guy. We were, um, we, we met in our therapist. Uh, we actually met at the gym, but we discovered we both had the same therapist. Oh my God. I had seen him in the therapy room and, and clocked that he was gorgeous. He looked like Kiefer Sutherland back then. And I just thought he was the hottest thing on two feet. Um, and we got together and we had this really intense relationship. Um, and he was supposedly clean, right? And we got together. We had this really intense relationship. He proposed. I said, yes. It was a whirlwind thing. I was like all completely up for it. And then he relapsed and uh, he was a Coke addict. And so I just put my foot down and was like, yeah, I can't do that. And so I'd already, I'd gotten ready to get married. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the wedding season, but that's what it yeah. was. I was ready to get married. Mm. 
And then I didn't have the person I was supposed to marry. So within six months after that, I was married. I mean, it was that quick. It was like the yeah. impetus to get married was there. Um, and I married somebody who was monogamous and um, also alcoholic and missed that entirely at the time and um, had this weird Madonna whore complex around women. So um, he stopped having sex with me very quickly and our sex didn't work, but it wasn't horrible. Like I could mm -hmm. find things to enjoy, mm -hmm. but he stopped having sex with me very quickly um, and started sleeping with everyone else. And I didn't know. So he would blame me for not having sex. It was absolutely horrible. Mm. And I came out of that and said, I'm never doing that again. Cause that was really horrible. Mm -hmm. And that didn't honor me at all. So my next relationship major relationship was non-monogamous because I set it up that way from the beginning. Yeah. But then my hormones had kicked in. Mm. So then the baby thing kicked in and I didn't really think I wanted a child, but I met this guy and we were just having a fling. And I felt, I, we say over here, I love this statement. I fell pregnant. Mm, I fell I pregnant, like an accident. Like that's the, yeah, that's the phrase. And so one of my friends was like, what did you do? Slip and fall on a dick? Yeah. <laughs> I fell pregnant. I just love it. It's a great phrase. So I fell pregnant and, um, and I lost the baby and I was then on a mission. I was on a mission to find out why it wasn't the first time I'd had a miscarriage. And so I was on a mission and I ended but I made the stupidity. I married him. We had nothing in common and we were sexually completely incompatible. Mm, but so that monogamy hangover of the person I have a baby with has to be my partner. My husband. That has to be my partner. And but also it was like my hormones. Oh my God. I used to not believe when people when women said, Oh, you have no idea. Like it the it can make you do really crazy things. He, he was a hormonal match to have a child. I have a beautiful 21-year-old um, man that is my son. That is the only positive thing that came out of that relationship. Mm -hmm. And that was the sole purpose for the relationship. Mm -hmm. We were completely sexually incompatible. As soon as I got pregnant, I never wanted him to touch me again. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just bizarre. It was like, because there was no thought involved and I think things through and I process stuff and I couldn't access any of it. It was just like, boom. And I, I had my, I had my son at 39. So it gives you an idea, like the, the older you are as, as this is going, your body wants you to procreate so badly. Mm -hmm. So I always say to women, you just need to be careful. You need to remember that, that we have brain cells, right? And we want it's to, it's hard to override that uh, evolutionary pull sometimes. Hugely difficult, yeah. but I think that's, that's how I ended up in two relationships, you know, for different motivations. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like I could prioritize my pleasure or even yeah. a positive relationship. Anything so that was most helpful to start helping you choose differently. Yeah. Um, one of the things was being, because I was non-monogamous in the, in the second marriage, I did some work on myself and went, okay, this isn't going to work for me. Mm -hmm. I am going to go look, but I'm going to do it in a very careful and almost methodical manner. And so I actually, I, I did, I do this with clients. I, I have a um, create your ideal relationship workshop where I want them to have a really robust list that has things ranked and priorities and 
must-haves and absolutely nots and all sorts of stuff, not because you're going to get that perfect person that you've just drawn, but because you're then going to think about priorities, hopefully, as you start to meet people. And I stuck this list up on my fridge. And every time I met somebody, no matter how strong the attraction, I went to the list. Mm. And I had a friend who kept me accountable. Mm-hmm. And I went to the list because I mean, by this point, I was 45 years old. I was like, seriously, how long am I going to keep doing this? Right. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, okay. And I remember meeting this one woman that I just thought, oh, I swear to God, she was so attractive and the sexual attraction was there and it was really intense. And there was nothing about that relationship that would have been sane or healthy at all. And I remember going to the list and starting to try and talk myself out of, well, this doesn't really matter. <laughs> right. And yeah. so I had my weekly accountability call with one of my best friends. And I said, said, well, you know, how's the week been? And well, I met someone. Oh, tell me about the person. So say, well, did you go to your list? Yeah. Well, let's go through your list together. <laughs> and she was just like, and you're like, I lost it. I don't want to. Yeah, I was like, do I really have to do that? Yeah. yeah. And she just looked looked at me and she said, seriously, you must be fucking crazy. Look at all these things that you said you don't want. So we're not talking red flags for the world. These were red flags for me. Yeah, your core values, you said. Right. These are the things. And some of them weren't even core values, but they were things that were important enough to me that physical things that were important enough to me, you know. um, And core core values can be different than um, ideal um, yes, chemistry absolutely. partner for procreating. Yeah, absolutely. So I was like, I went through it, and she's and she said, you cannot go out with this woman, and she was right. And I went, okay. But I think had I not had the the list in front of me, not done that piece of work, and had I not had someone to be yeah. accountable with, right, I, it wouldn't I have was, happened. No, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And, and then I met then I met my husband. Yeah. Wow. Well. And I went, Yeah, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Let's look at the list. Let's look at the list and see what we think. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of things that didn't match because there always will be, but they weren't that important. Although one very important thing was that he lived in the US, he lived in LA and I lived in England. Uh, That is important, but uh, you know, that can be worked with. I said to him, um, once we realized we were going to be relatively serious, we dated, uh, everything was still lining up, but we weren't at the point where, you know, we'd committed. I said, you know, I had, my son was six years old and his father was in England. And I said, I can't leave here Mm. because A, his father won't let me take him, but B, I'm not raising a child in America. I'm raising a child in a place where there's no guns in the schools. You know, that Mm -hmm. was pretty important to me. And, um, and so you have to be willing to come here or we should not go any further. And he said, I want to be wherever you are. So he emigrated for me. Wow. Yeah, in his 50s. I was 27 when I emigrated for a man because I emigrated for the first husband. Mm. He was in his mid 50s when he emigrated, which I think is really impressive. It's hard when you're in your 20s. Mm. It's crazy when you're older. Yeah. The well, adjustment in Pence. Yeah. And how did that work out? Well, we're together 14 and a half years and our nine year wedding anniversary will be on the 2nd of November. Uh, It's worked out. Yeah. Awesome. Finally chose somebody who saw the slut as well, because that was another (laughs) issue for me. 
So I'm wearing my slide t-shirt. Yes. That was an absolute big issue for me, which is I identify that. I've always sat on a slut. This is how I am. When I really like somebody, I probably want to sleep with them. It doesn't mean I'm going to. I can acknowledge, oh, I want to sleep with you because I really like you. It wouldn't be appropriate. But it also means where it's appropriate that I probably want to fuck you. And uh, um, why shouldn't I, right? In certain circumstances. And no matter how many, even my non-monogamous partners, he is the first partner who was totally comfortable with that. He got that that was an integral part of me and he was going to support me being able to be who I am. Mm. And it's amazing to have that. It was amazing that I let myself have that. Yeah. Well, your your sluttery is welcome here and I want other sluts to be able to connect with you. Um, How can people um, follow what you're doing, get in touch, hire you? Yeah. So the easiest way is to go over to my website, which is drlauriebethbisbee.com. It is a very comprehensive website. It even includes a big FAQ. Um, and I'll I am put on, that in the show notes in case you uh, need a link. Cool. I am on Instagram and um, what used to be Twitter as at Dr. Bisbee. <laughs> I'm on TikTok as at Lori Beth UK. And while I am on Facebook and LinkedIn, I don't spend a lot of time on either place. Yeah. Uh, I have a ton of shit going on right now. I just released the second edition of my erotic memoir. Um, which is easiest to grab on my website because I haven't updated it on Amazon yet because it's complicated on Amazon. Um, I've just started a private members club on my website because Facebook groups and things like that, there's just been so much issues around when you talk about sex, people get censored. Yes. So that's really cool. Um, And it is also a really cost-effective way of getting engaged with me. And so there's details of that on the site. And I just um, launched um, the first um, transformational VIP program, which is basically unprecedented access. Mm. So for the person that really wants to completely revamp their relationships and to have the tools and the support to be able to do the things we've been talking about and really prioritize themselves in a positive, healthy way, because mm-hmm. I think we always talk about it as it being narcissistic or selfish, but yeah. to actually own it in a positive, healthy way, that's a great way of doing it. Um, and it's really intense, but you get lots of stuff, lots yeah. of time, with me, lots of content, retreats, all sorts. Great. So those are the things I'm doing right now, along with traveling the UK talking about fetish and kink awesome well so you sound busy um thank you for taking the time to join us again listeners if you want to follow what i'm doing i'm on instagram at sluts and scholars and i i'm still calling it twitter at slut scholars <laughs> uh i don't go over there that much um and uh you can listen anywhere you get your podcasts or at slutsandscholars.com please don't forget to rate and review uh, and check out those advertiser discounts um thank you so much Lori. It's been my pleasure. Sluts and Scholars, a podcast for professionals who prioritize pleasure. Sluts and Scholars is a podcast produced by Sluts and Scholars Media, LLC. It is a shame-free educational podcast made for your entertainment and informational desires only. 
The podcast, any opinions we share, and any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, medical care, or professional advice, and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show.